Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 15, Cecily O'Neill, The Process of Drama, Act 1, recorded June 16th, 2018, in New York City. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives allowed are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Bonney is a proud partner of Teaching Artists Guild. Teaching Artists Guild. You know, we just had Gene Johnstone, the executive director, on. Oh, yeah. That was a great episode. Thanks, Ben. You're welcome. Could you tell me a little bit more about Teaching Artists Guild? I can. Teaching Artists Guild is a national network of teaching artists and arts education leaders. They've been around since 2013, and Teaching Artists Guild, or TAG, has provided resources and communication about the growing field through their website, databases, and quarterly magazine. They also feature a pay rate calculator and have recently launched an interactive map of the field. Oh, and they also offer dental and vision discounts across the whole U.S. of A. That's amazing. You can visit them at teachingartistsguild.org to learn more about all this fabulous stuff. Tag where the resources are abundant. Hi, TA listeners. Courtney J. Body here. Time for another episode of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. It's February, and February in America is Black History Month. This is where we honor amazing African-American people throughout history and hashtag black excellence in America. Today, I'd like to shout out Don Cheadle, who hosted SNL on Saturday, February 16th. He had a, well, he took the opportunity of that platform to make two pretty loud statements in a very simple but effective manner. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It is all over the interwebs. Yeah. Always been a big fan. He has just sort of jumped, catapulted, if you will, to hero status. Let's see. What else has happened in February? Oh, oh, I know. Our president called a national emergency to release funds 
to build a ridiculous wall at the southern border. A racist wall, I would say. An unnecessary wall. Immoral, as Nancy. Clap back, Pelosi says. This is... And he is a national disgrace. Wanting to bypass the judiciary branch in order to fulfill a campaign promise that only some in this country actually want with no real evidence or an actual proposal for how border security will actually be managed more effectively and let alone humanely or legally. I can't go into it too much because one, I don't know all the details, but two, it just makes me so effing angry. I truly cannot wait for the time when this particular administration is booted out. They gotta go. We are living in a dark, dark time. But, but there are also amazing things that are happening. So I will focus, I will stay aware, but I will focus on the amazing things. So this month, my guest is Cecily O'Neill. And if you don't know, she is, um, she's a rock star in the theater education world. I'm a huge fan of hers. And, you know, while I'm a fan girl, I'm also proud to call her my fa- my friend. Um, Cecily was the first to show me what a process drama could be and how it can extend over time. She honestly is really one of the best. Um, so in this act, Cecily explains what is a process drama. I'm sure some of you are like, what? What is that? Um, she talks about her background uh, in the arts and studying with Gavin Bolton and learning from Dorothy Hethkett to other like grand people <laughs> of process drama. And uh, those of us who went to school specifically for theater education will um, really love hearing some of the things that she says about these two amazing people. And what I love about Cecily is that she's... Um, sort of soft-spoken, but she's sassy and she's smart and she sees the world very clearly and I adore her. Um, So I'm looking forward to you hearing this first act. Here is episode 15, act one, Cecily O'Neill, The Process of Drama. Hello, Courtney. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. You look stunning oh, well, in your emerald green <laughs> and your green accessories. Well. Um, would you mind just explaining where we are at the moment? Well, we're recording this in the lounge of Pless Hall, which is part of NYU Steinhardt. Mm-hmm. And we're in the lobby. We are. So there might be some people walking in and out, a lot of people who will be saying, hi, Cecily, <laughs> which I think was, is real adorable. Um, maybe one or two might say, hi, Courtney. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> um, this, is, this isn't actually where we met. No. But we met because of NYU. Yes. Do you remember where we met? No. You don't? No. Oh, that either that's a good thing or or it's it's not I just always just, felt I was just always a part of your part. life. <laughs> <laughs> no, unfortunately not. Mm. But um, very soon after I got involved with NYU, mm. I think you were. Yeah. Yeah, so I recall uh, I met you in two thousand two. No. 
Yes, in Summer Abroad. Oh. And that was the first time you led our, our uh, very quirky group of <laughs> students um, in London through a two-day process where um, there's, I don't remember everything. I bet you Gina Grandi knows every single detail. But what I do recall, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Yes. I, were you part of the whorehouse? Is what I, I want to I, ask. I actually wasn't part of the whorehouse, <laughs> although I made I made some choices that actually I ended up, um, if I recall correctly, I ended up being one of like the librarian or some. I made some choice like that. Of I was still a spinster, but I was. Um, not a whore. <laughs> you were clean living. <laughs> I was uh, doing a clean living and I fell in love with somebody who also loved books. And we just, and it was the My sweetest. Goodness. So can you explain what we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> if I can remember, you remember very well. Um, I, we did uh, a drama uh, which Gina reminded me about the other day. Oh, sure. And um, <laughs> We started with uh, young people, uh, a kind of, um, it was, there was an advertisement as far as mm -hmm. I can remember mm -hmm. for young women, um, clean living young women, <laughs> wanted or invited to travel to the West where there were lots of farmers and miners and uh, people in towns who didn't have enough women. and. Mm -hmm the chances were that you'd make a useful match, find somebody to spend your life with. Mm -hmm. But of course, that didn't quite work out for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them, like, you, like yourselves, found happiness. Um, but there were a group who um, were rejected or didn't find an appropriate match. Uh, but being very resourceful girls, they decided they'd open a whorehouse, mm -hmm. <laughs> which which was unexpected to me, but I could see the logic of it. <laughs> but it was it was good fun. And, and would also, it actually, I think, addressed some quite serious issues. And this was my mind, in my mind when I started, mm -hmm. um, that uh, of people who were, um, for some reason or other, uh, forced to leave uh, their place of origin and mm -hmm. seek their fortune, yeah. um, which might be dangerous or uh, might be work out well, but they have to have the courage to do that. Right, and um, you know there was some reality to that that actually did happen exactly. in the in the in the eighteen hundreds. And um, I, from my perspective, you know it's interesting about you call it a drama, and of course we're like process drama because um, we're trained to say it that way. But the creating a drama takes um, a, a great bit of skill as a theatre practitioner, would you say? I think so. <clears throat> I think skill and um, which comes from experience. So um, I think it, it requires, I think it requires a knowledge of, of um, well, of the, what can I say? It requires so much, it requires a little bit of courage. Mm -hmm. You're not working towards a product. You're in a process, uh, though you could say that, that rehearsal is a process as well, but mm -hmm. this is a process which um, the stages of it are not necessarily apparent when you begin. Mm -hmm. So uh, you begin with a strong pretext like this advertisement, which gives you the starting point. It gives you, uh, it suggests the, um, it suggests possibilities, the roles that people might take, and uh, you launch onto a journey. And as much as possible as the leader, you try to 
respond to what uh, arises from the participants mm -hmm. and build on not your own scenario, but what they bring to it. Right. And as somebody who was a participant um, and still learning what this this uh, leader leading leading uh, a drama could look like, I definitely felt myself split. Actually, of really getting so down into my character, building her backstory, finding this this other character, and falling in love with that character, and like. <laughs> building all of the reasons why I love this character and the person I, I'm blanking on who I don't know her name but uh, it was a woman who decided she was a man um, and she was uh, Jamaican she she was somebody who was taking the um, she was completing the, the, the degree through just the study, study oh, abroad because right, yes. <clears throat> I think she was a, a, t a classroom teacher yeah I'm not mistaken but she had such a sensitivity about her, and I remember thinking that <laughs> as a as a woman playing a female character, of how how I wish that <laughs> this char this character that she had built as a man would actually exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, to the point where, if I'm if I if I recall correctly, you had a moment where we had something had gone off the rails. And I, I don't think I felt that personally because I, I remember it very differently than, yeah. say, Gina. <laughs> um, and when you sort of said, well, I don't know, I think we need to stop there and pause there and I need to go back and think a little bit. Um, some people took that one way and I took it as, uh, well, isn't that wonderful? How transparent of her. How great that she doesn't know where to go next and she needs time and she's letting us know that she needs that time. So that was that was the way I saw it as yeah. as somebody who is learning how to lead. How do I maintain that leadership, helping to understand that I'm sort of stitching and weaving a little bit, but allowing enough space and flexibility for the participants to fill in yeah. and guide themselves, and that it's just about shaping. And if I'm unclear where to go, and you know we've been working for a while, <laughs> let's take a break and let me think about like how can I help move this forward. I think that one of the reasons that people are afraid of working in this way mm. is they think, what happens if I run out of ideas? Or, of course, the kids never run out never. of ideas. Um, that struck me after <laughs> too long a gap before I realized, you know, I didn't actually need to have the ideas. All I needed to do was to somehow operate with their ideas and make them happen. When I first started working in this way, I didn't know how to stop. Mm. And... Uh, things went on and on and sort of ran out of juice because I didn't have the courage to say, you know what, there's some big stuff here and we need to just pause for a minute and uh, reflect on where we've got to or um, come back tomorrow and do some more. Or, you know, there's no law. It's not, there isn't an audience who's paid to see it through to the end, you know. That, that right. if you can have the courage to yeah. stop or to find a strategy which will buy you time, mm -hmm. which is the other thing. <laughs> and uh, again, it's useful to have a couple of those up your sleeve. Yes. Well, you know, I think it's also interesting to think about in theatre, even though process drama is not meant to be product-oriented, but in theatre there is an arc, right? You're a dramaturg, and that there should be some sort of arc. And I am curious, in retrospect, I definitely was not thinking about this then, but in looking back, I wonder if some of the sort of um, 
more uh, energized responses to stopping were because they were expecting some sort of arc and it yeah. felt like it got abruptly yes, taken away yeah. from them, yeah. right? Um, would you, I, I might be yeah, I, I a think little bit. Yeah, I think that can happen, but um, uh, <laughs> I, uh, it's, 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 it is worth remembering that, mm. that, um, <laughs> that even in a group where we're working on the same uh, um, drama and um, that, that people are inhabiting roles, that they inhabit them at different levels mm. at different times. And it, it's I, it really you just have to you have to make a choice, and I would sooner stop and pause and and try and, and uh, pick up again um, with some clearer sense of uh, the kind of shape of where we're going mm -hmm. and the structure of what's there, mm -hmm. um, rather than just uh, let people as it were, indulge in whatever it is that they're really getting carried away well, with. Yeah, I'm, I, th I think, um, and we, could, we can swirl around this for a while, but I, as you were talking, I was thinking about how often I, I have a lot of questions that are constantly sort of buzzing around my head, and I could stay up all night thinking about them, but actually going to bed with some of those questions in mind, but allowing myself to just take a break. Yeah. Often in the morning, there's a lot of clarity and uh, big ideas start to pop based off of those questions. And it just, you know, I, all that sort of anxiety that I had the night before seems to dissipate. Um, so I, I feel like that's the same type of process because you could also be spinning as they're, as the participants are <laughs> indulging. You're sort of figuring out, oh gosh, and then and what's there's here a lot and, of pressure. And to, to uh, keep, uh, to be be aware of everything that's happening, and especially in a big group, is is really quite difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, you 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 become aware of of, of the more um, apparent things, but then there are other things, you know, happening like what you described, which, as a teacher, I may not be quite so aware of. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's. Um, it's a little like conducting an orchestra, mm -hmm. and if you know if the, if the percussion session section gets uh, overwhelms the rest, you know you might need to <laughs> just um, calm it down. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I, I feel that the structure of a process drama is is important to think about. I mean, to begin with, uh, it's almost always, I think, beginning with a group of people who are somehow in the same situation, mm. or most of them in the same situation. But as it goes on, if it, at its best, at, well, at, at its most successful, I found it seems to um, focus down to, um, on maybe one or two people, one or two roles or characters, everybody can play them, uh, which, which uh, brings things to a, a kind of um, a crisis point mm. or uh, a moment of, of transformation or revelation of some kind. Now that doesn't always happen. I mean, I mean, I'm, I mean, there's work. There's good work. Mm -hmm. There's excellent work, and then there's the best work. You know, and mm -hmm. <laughs> good work is fine most of the time. But there are times when this, uh, the same with a play or a production. You know, there are times when it it becomes, uh, um, it becomes. It approaches art. I don't mm. sound too pretentious, mm -hmm. but it does approach uh, a, 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 cre a creative endeavor in which everybody has had a part and everybody is satisfied, by on some level. So, but that—that's 
<laughs> those are the good, really good times. Yeah. Um, but it, it still, I think, can be satisfying uh, imaginatively, I think, socially, psychologically, mm -hmm. and, um, uh, and intellectually also for participants mm. at its best. Well, even at its, when it's good. When at its yeah. good. <laughs> good level. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's very interesting to know. I, I don't have um, the ability in the, in the, in the structure or the framework of, of my programs. We don't have a, a lot of opportunity to engage in, in dramas in the same way. Yeah. We do pull elements from, such as yeah. uh, teacher enroll or teaching artist enroll. Yes. Um, but that summer program overall, and, and my experience yeah. Working with you, and we also work with Tony um, Good yeah. and Warwick Dobson yeah. and um, Philip, um, ugh, Philip from Simplicite. I think. Oh um, yes, yes, uh, yes. He's a, a um, friar now or something. <laughs> I think so. He's in the clergy. Anyway, that experience in and of itself for me was definitely a pivot point, yeah. not only within my um, grad program here in educational theater, but. When I returned, I felt much more confident to take the steps towards becoming or auditioning for um, teaching artist yeah. uh, positions. Where um, actually that fall, I was working at Roundabout and a few other places yeah. as a teaching artist, and I just felt that I had more confidence. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that yes, that program was uh, immeasurable. And then since then, I always thought, you know, everybody, I you probably don't think about yourself like this, but you're. You know, in this world, in the theater world, a rock star. <laughs> and so, yeah, well, I, you know, like the, when we, before we started recording, we're sitting here on the couch just catching up. And I, about, you know, there were all these students who were walking through. And every time, <laughs> whether they said hello to you or not, they were like, there she is, there she is. Or, hi, Cecily, hi, Cecily. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's how I was. Yeah. I totally was. I wonder if she knows who I am. <laughs> Um, but I, but, but since then, you know, obviously I've had, I, I've had a lot of, um, experience in this world. I adjunct here. There's a lot that ties us both to, sure. to this university or this, this particular program. And, um, I feel a great kinship with you. Um, and I, I do tell the story every once in a while. I don't know if I, I don't know exactly where I've told the story, but I tell the story or maybe were, you, were we on the panel together? We were. We were. Okay, so that's where I told the was story. This not last year? <laughs> it, was, it was, I believe it was last year or the year before. Yeah, okay. Was it right here? It was right here was where year. we were talking about theater for young audiences. Yeah. And Lori Brooks received there, an yeah. award, right? Yes. Um, and yes, and in the midst of that, I talked about how uh, the one and only time that I've been involved in the New Plays series, uh, you asked me to improv with you, and I was beside myself though I tried to play it cool but at the moment I was like whoa like Cecily O'Neill who is one of the best improvisers as somebody I've, I've seen you do that beautifully and seamlessly to say let's improv I was and it was a good moment and the idea was that we were improving to serve the the playwright, which sure. is what the program is. So I'm going to do a little bit of our backstory because okay. we can spin on and on. But uh, I wanted to sort of mark the fact that in 2002 was the first time I really felt like I was a teaching artist and that you were part of that. And this program focuses on teaching artistry. <laughs> <laughs> and 
if you were to ask me what else I was doing in 2002, I wouldn't know. So now you've at least filled in that okay. little bit. You know, it's odd. I can good. remember. I can remember dramas better than I can remember my own life. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I do like to ask people about their own life, okay. but I do ask about it through the lens of how arts sure. were sort of present. So, so now we have a good foundation. We know where we met. We do. We know that we've known each other for at least a decade, more than a decade yeah. now, and that we're both um, engaged with NYU. So let's go back. Sure. Pre-NYU. Okay. <laughs> um, so where did you grow up? I grew up in Dublin, uh, in a suburb of the city, and um, I have uh, one sister, and um, we lived in a, a really quite nice suburb, not too far from the sea, where the Irish Sea, where we swam. <laughs> I don't think I could do it now. And um, I was always uh, very interested, really not so much in theatre, but in reading. So, um, and, and uh, the, for some reason, among the many books in the house, there was a collected um, uh, edition of Bernard Shaw's plays, mm -hmm. all of which I read. Uh, I read everything, things I should probably not have been reading at the age I was. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, uh, So then I began to get interested in reading plays, and it wasn't long before I was bullying my <coughs> family and friends to be in little plays in the garage, you know, and <laughs> charging the neighbours mm -hmm. <laughs> to come and see it. Mine was the backyard. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same thing. Um, but uh, my mother was an artist, um, a painter, and um, but uh, there was no connection really to any of the uh, performing arts. Um, but I got very involved in ballet, and that was what I was going to do. I was mm -hmm. going to be a dancer. So, um, and, and I, well, I did, did it all through my teens and uh, used to teach a little ballet. Um, but then I, I was, wanted to go to university, and indeed I was, my parents wanted me to go. And, um, uh, but I did slightly fund myself, or some of it, you know, the little pocket money through teaching the little ones some ballet at the little dance school. And that's sort of part of the dance world, right? Isn't there a sort of, um, uh, what's the word, like a ethos of, as, as somebody oh, yes. who's in, who is a dancer, you teach? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And very often it's the only living that most dancers mm. can make after the age of, what, 30 or something. Mm -hmm. It's very much a young person's um, activity, you know, career. Uh, so it was, um, I also began to realize that actually uh, maybe it prob probably didn't <laughs> wasn't good enough, or um, I, I didn't. I knew I really probably wouldn't make it as a dancer, um, and I knew anyway that my parents would be very disapproving, <laughs> and, and they would have found it hard to stop me if I'd really wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, but um, uh, so anyway, I was enjoying my university work. And uh, directing plays, so that is that. Is uh, that what you went to school for? Uh, no, I did a degree in English and history. And uh, at that time, there really weren't degrees in theatre. Certainly not in in Ireland. There, there wouldn't have been. Um, I think mean, there was a lot of theatre in the city, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I don't think the universities, you know, either Trinity or University College Dublin, 
didn't offer anything that would look like a, mm. a performing arts degree or a, a theatre degree. It, it was very much later before those became available even in England, you know, in the, probably maybe in the 60s, I mm. don't know, mm. but not in the 50s. And so, so where was the sort of segue into starting to direct theatre? Uh, well, I joined the Dramatic Society in college and... Um, the very f the first play I directed was by Edna St. Vincent Millay, who was a local girl here, of course, at the Provincetown. She, mm -hmm. the, the play I directed, Aria de Capo, um, was put on first at the Provincetown. I didn't know anything about the Provincetown when I directed it, but we took it to various little festivals and other uh, places in Ireland, and it won awards, so I felt very pleased about that. Mm -hmm. and, um, uh, so, uh, uh, but then um, I got engaged and we moved to London and got married and had a family in about 10 minutes and <laughs> so uh, all thoughts of uh, performing arts of any kind came to a bit of a, a halt at the time, but not for long because, um, again, there was a local dramatic society that, that uh, we got involved in and... Um, Again, I was directing. I <coughs> didn't ever really see myself. I was interested particularly in acting. Um, it was more interesting to me to to frame it and mm -hmm. shape, it. shape it and, and uh, <laughs> curse the actors. Cause <laughs> not, not what I <coughs> deserved in terms of <laughs> their capacities. <laughs> so. Um. So, so that first that was your first play that got all the mm. awards, and now you're in London. You're 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 doing. Uh, you've got a family. You're you're. I I feel like you just said that your daughter's your daughter was involved. Is uh, she in the uh, arts yeah, as well? Uh, oh, yes. In fact, um, I have three children, mm. a daughter and two sons. And um, uh, my daughter did a, a degree in theatre, and uh, <laughs> my oldest son did a degree in theatre, and uh, my younger one trained as a dancer. <laughs> so, um, but in fact, uh, Rachel uh, then uh, had a career um, in um, PR and marketing, and uh, Hugh has, uh, works for um, a big insurance company, and uh, Dan is um, a movement director, and uh, he's the movement director for the current AMC uh, series, Humans. Really? And so, well, it, but he's, it, he, he was a professional dancer for mm -hmm. uh, some time, in contemporary dance, and um, uh, did a lot of, dire of movement directing in opera and on stage, and, uh, uh, but now for the last two or three years, he's been working in film and television. And he's the go-to guy for zombies, the undead, um, <laughs> creatures of all kinds. Um, does he work on the the Walking Dead? Uh, not on the Walking Dead, but he he. Because um, I then I'd be really impressed. No, no. <laughs> I'm just joking. That's very. No, but he's doing some exciting. some some creatures of some kind on the big uh, mm. currently on a, a television show uh, in England. So he really enjoys that, and he he makes short films himself and would like to get back to doing more of that. So the arts, I'm afraid, have uh, continued to be um, an important part, really, of all of our lives. Yes, that's wonderful. And, and so how, how or when did 
the educational theater right. world. I, I know that you, you worked a lot. Well, I got, uh, uh, it didn't really suit me to be at home mm. with the babies or with the children. So as soon as they were at elementary school, kindergarten or whatever, <coughs> I, um, I didn't have any educational qualifications whatsoever. Mm. But they were very short of teachers in England at the time, and um, with a degree you could teach. So uh, I got a job teaching English, not having the first clue about what that might entail. Mm. So um, uh, anyway, I found I enjoyed it, and uh, you know, through <laughs> through a series of mistakes. I mean, in you know, schools were not as prescriptive in the 60s. In fact, they were rather um, much more open, if you like, in, in terms of what a curriculum was. And uh, I mean, there was a curriculum. You, uh, there were exams that you worked towards, but it wasn't as, uh, you know, as tightly structured as, it, <coughs> as um, it is now. I don't think I'd be able to teach now somehow. So I had a couple of, um, uh, you know, my, my um, control factors, if you like, because I began as a substitute teacher, uh, were either reading horror stories <laughs> or um, very quick-fire spelling tests, and they got me out of some difficulties oh, <laughs> so, right. until, until I learned what, what I maybe ought to be doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I did enjoy it, and then it wasn't long before I thought, oh, well, they put on plays in the school, maybe I'll get involved with that mm -hmm. <coughs> and then I started to go on courses because I got very very interested in in how uh, the crossover between plays and education so I did a diploma and then I was fortunate enough to uh, be given leave to go and do an MA with Gavin Bolton who really was my mentor and that was a wonderful year and uh, through him, I also managed to uh, do some work with Dorothy Hathcote. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is the mid-late mid 70s, so, uh, you know, her work was uh, acclaimed all over the world. And uh, <coughs> um, I think they taught me everything I know. So, you, okay, so let's just um, take it one step at a time, because you're very good at summarizing it, so that's <laughs> yeah. good. Um, very good skill. Um, so, who is Gavin Bolton? Okay, Gavin Bolton was a, um, he was a maths teacher, and he, uh, I think he was a, um, a deputy principal in an elementary school and so on, but by a series of of meetings, I can't remember quite how, he met Dorothy Hathcote, who was teaching a course at Newcastle University. And um, he became very interested in her work and began to work in the same way. Uh, he, and he became a county drama advisor, and subsequently he taught uh, an MA at uh, um, Durham University, which is fairly close to Newcastle. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, uh, he, he was one of the courses I was doing. He was invited to be our examiner. And we'd had three years of inputs from everybody, uh, from theatre games to theatre improvs. Mike Lee, who's now um, quite a well-known film director and who works 
it begins from improvisation. Mm -hmm. We had everybody who was anybody. Um, and at the end of three years, our head was full of <laughs> a huge mixture of stuff, but no theoretical kind of basis to, to um, solidify all these various uh, bits of, of information and strategies and activities that, that we'd acquired. So for our exam, uh, we uh, had to teach a class and Gavin Bolton would watch us. Mm -hmm. There were about maybe a dozen of us on this course. And um, I, I, didn't, I wasn't actually teaching drama at that time. I was at, the, at that time I was head of the English department in a secondary school. But I borrowed somebody else's class and uh, taught what I thought was a really terrific lesson. Because if there was, you know, it was full of every single thing that I had learned in the three years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then I had a conversation with Gavin, who um, said that was very interesting. And I sort of <laughs> smiled, you know, <laughs> said, yes, yes, it was really. Well, of course it was interesting, <laughs> full of stuff. And he said, uh, there were a lot of ideas in there. I said, yes. <laughs> uh, he said, I find that uh, uh, I tend to work with just one idea. And I thought, oh, poor guy, only one idea. <laughs> What's that about? <laughs> so anyway, um, we uh, analyzed what I'd done. And, and, um, and he said, and, um, uh, among all these ideas that you uh, um, played with, he said, where was the drama? And I said, uh, there wasn't any. And he said, you're right. <laughs> so, um, it was a real eye-opener. And um, it was an eye-opener for the organizers of the course as well, who, uh, because I wasn't the only person who laid an egg. <laughs> um, but at least I knew I'd laid an egg. Um, but uh, th So they invited Gavin to come and work on various uh, weekend and residential courses with us. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly began to see uh, how uh, the question of shaping and structuring a piece of work so that it developed and got deeper and stronger and wasn't just uh, one damn thing after another. And um, it still took me a long time to know how to really operate in that way, but at least I knew what I was trying to do, mm -hmm. even if I couldn't always manage it. Right, right. And, and uh, mm, I don't know much about Gavin Bolton, so um, was he a kind person? What kind of what, what was he, his personality like? Right. Well, now Dorothy was uh, a kind of Earth Mother. Mm. Did you ever work? With I Dorothy? never worked with her. No. Um, and she had this North Country accent, yeah. and um, uh, she was a she was a an extraordinary teacher. Really, she. Uh, um, not that she had an overpowering personality, but she she had a kind of... It's impossible to describe, but she's out there on video, and you can see mm -hmm. her working, and um, she was very influential. Mm -hmm. uh, now, Gavin was a cooler character. He he looked a bit like a, like a bank manager or something. He didn't... You know, he was uh, rather precise. He was rather... Um, I think, you know, if you think of his background in math, that that's more what he was, but he was very analytical. Mm. And that suited my way of thinking. 
uh, I feel, al almost better than her. It was very hard to see what she was doing. Mm. Or, or it was very hard to determine the decisions she was making mm -hmm. because they were unpredictable. They were, well, she was kind of a genius, you mm -hmm. know, in the sense it's hard to analyze genius. <laughs> now, Gavin was more um, kind of pragmatic and uh, he, he could um, unravel the decisions he made and the steps he took and, um, and, and he could provide the reasons why he had done those things. Yeah. And I found that very helpful at the time. And then over the, over the time, uh, so when I went to do my MA with him, then really I think we became friends. And that was a, we were a very small group, there were four or five of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we, you know, we went with him, he worked in a, um, uh, with groups of, of uh, alcoholics or um, gamblers or whatever, you know, uh, uh, alongside uh, their counsellors and used mm. us in role to um, explore some of their difficulties. And uh, oh. so all of that was very interesting. It's very um, social service, social agency. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. So that I, I think um, there's something to... To what you were talking about about Gavin about him being able to sort of pinpoint and help you understand when I did this this is what I was thinking yes. that sort of looking at um, for the, the metaphor that I keep having running through my head is the you know knowing how the watch was built right Absolutely. Like the, yeah. how the cogs are moving and so yeah. that you can sort of see it as opposed to Dorothy Hethke who is like you said, yeah, a, a genius. I I love her process. I love watching her. I've watched yes. three looms. Uh, uh, what is it? Three, three looms. Three looms waiting. waiting. Yeah. Um, uh, multiple times, many times, and I assign yeah. it in my class, the Almost. teaching artist. So, uh, what I what the 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 in that film where she's working with the kids saying oh where they're building they're building like a shop and they're they're just like just in this factory and they've just built this thing and this one young lady comes up to her and says oh i've made this and she just asks like a very simple question well how is it going to work or, or something yes. like that and rather than you know how sometimes a child will show an adult and they start to interpret it already Getting the young, yes. you know, ten, this ten-year-old girl to start to say, "Oh no, I need to go back and actually, I need to work on this some more," and and this is why because it's for this yes. purpose. And yes. now I realize it needs X, Y, she and Z. Was, and it's, she asked questions mm. so brilliantly and so. Um, she working with her one time. She said, "When we were also going to work with young people, she said, don't lead them, follow them. Mm. You know, just uh, um, don't try to to." Uh, mm run your bit of the show you know let let them use you yeah. and um she and she was also she had a terrific sense of humor and often set she would set us uh little little uh, almost tasks she i remember she um she wanted us to be able to think on our feet and to accept whatever was given to us mm -hmm. and go with it so um she <laughs> she sat us all on the floor and she sat on a chair and said, now she said, I'm very interested to know how you're getting along without your feet. <laughs> and so we suddenly found ourselves a role in role as people who had no feet. She said, I'm sure you're finding a lot of things that are very convenient about not having any feet. 
Um, and uh, so we said, yeah, yes, you know, the savings on shoes are tremendous, you know. <laughs> and it was, it, it could have been a bit macabre, and, a, and a, you know, but, but the way she set it up was we were, you know, this peculiar, we had chosen to lose it, you know, and I don't know what she was thinking, but it was, it was absurd and uh, it was such a useful mental exercise in terms of improvising. She didn't. She didn't do the thing of saying, you always say yes to whatever is offered. Yeah. But in effect, that was really kind of what she was doing. Mm -hmm. uh, was, I still remember. <laughs> no feet. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo I love that. I, I, yeah, it's interesting. We're, um, we're currently working, the New Victory is uh, partnering with the Department of Education to um, teach about 2,000 pre-K teachers uh, who are teaching four-year-olds. Um, and in New York City, Universal or Pre-K for All has expanded um, from what I think about three or four years ago or maybe more was um, about a free program, a free education program for about 16,000 to closer to um, 75 to 78,000. Um, and so there was a, a large um, hiring of Gosh. and figuring out what that system looks like um, across many different types of school settings, Gosh, so public yes. schools, charter schools, um, yeshiva schools, um, uh, uh, community-based um, uh, uh, early childhood centers. And so um, there's all these developed there's very specific units of study and um, specific tracks that each site can sh choose, whether it's a explore track or create, which is arts, mm -hmm. or math or social emotional, and so on. So um, we're in this create track, and the the current the current model is shifting. But um, there were teachers who were to take two years of professional development, and each time we would uh, each arts partner would um, select a particular unit of study to integrate their art form into yeah. and, and then uh, implement that with the teachers in a, in a, you know, some sort of big site. So for <laughs> the second year two, I immediately was like, we got to go into role. We have mm, to. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just, yes. it's perfect. It's obvious. Yeah. It's obvious. And there was a little bit of pushback and I was like, trust me. <laughs> just trust me and so this was the first year that we we implemented 2018 the 17 18 season was the season that we implemented that work and you know there's a little bit of bumps because you had to teach all the artists and make sure that everybody understood but we were doing it through puppetry oh, right. um and the idea that you know teachers already do that what you were saying sure. like reading reading like scary stories is yeah. a thing we do we do this already as as teachers but giving technique, giving, exactly. you know, just some strategy and, and, and focus and understanding to, to, and permission yeah. to go there and yeah. actually utilize it as a strong yeah. tool for learning and to, at the base of it, yeah. for your kids to be able to play while they're exactly. learning or through learning. So it's been a really fruitful, um, especially because, like I said, in the other models, we don't really have a, a whole lot of time to utilize some of the wonderful um, strategies and methods of process drama. Um, but I love, I always feel, because I didn't have that chance to work with um, Dorothy in any, any way, even when she, right before she passed away, she had done yes. a session here and I couldn't make it. Yeah. And I was heartbroken because it was my one and only chance. But um, tell me, tell me, you know, so you, were, you became friends, no? Uh, yes, I mean, you know, well, uh, 
everybody who met her thought they were seeing. Yes, right? yes. Um, but you know, did she fill a room? Like what? How did she relate with people when she wasn't working? <laughs> um, very much on a kind of motherly um, basis. Um, she, her, she, I remember uh, when um, a colleague and I were putting together uh, some of her writing, the sort of collected writing on education and drama, which we did, gosh, in the 80s, I think. Um, and uh, um, my colleague and I went up to, to Newcastle and uh, stayed with her. Mm -hmm. And the first thing was, what can I get you to eat or drink? Or, uh, and um, breakfast <coughs> was homemade this and homegrown that. And the whole, you know, she loved, oh, she was a real um, nurturer in that way. Mm. And everybody was kind of welcome. What her husband and daughter thought of it all, I don't know. I think her, her daughter at the time was about 10. And I think, I think she felt, I sense she sort of uh, maybe resented sharing her mother so much. And Dorothy was always traveling. Mm -hmm. You know, she was always zapping around the world. Mm -hmm. um, she came to New York once, I think, and got the same plane out. <laughs> home that you know she came and did a talk or something and then left and and these crew said well I'm sorry didn't you get off <laughs> didn't you and, and she said yes yes I was well I can be back with you so I don't know you know those kind of uh, things she traveled with a neat little case and um, uh, you know um, just whizzed about um, but she was very caring, for, particularly for the students who got to know her really well. Um, but she related very warmly to, to everybody. And her, I noticed her a technique of hers when she went into a class or a group of teachers or whoever they were. She would very deliberately make absolute eye contact with every single person in the room. Mm. I see you. Mm. And I see you and you and you. And so everybody felt connected. Um, her, her later work changed really very radically from the Three Looms Waiting, which was the early 70s. Uh, so um, she became very concerned, very interested in the mantle of the expert, mm -hmm. which nobody except she seems to really able a be able to do and be able to understand mm. and um, it's uh, I can operate a very simple version of it but she I think wouldn't have hers was a very complex required a lot of preparation a lot of resourcing uh, and um, was obviously a very powerful <coughs> way of uh, um, operating the curriculum and in fact I worked a couple of years ago at an elementary school in the Midlands in England uh, where the entire school was was operating on a kind of mantle of the expert um, focus. Mm. So even the kindergarten would be almost take on <coughs> the attitudes of people who were making a garden or um, you know, writing a book or whatever it might be, mm -hmm. but they would be operating as if they already were experts at it. And I just thought that was so fascinating. Really great. Uh, just in, in, in regard to Mantle of the Expert, we do, again, just a little tiny thing where in this curriculum, the the students, I'm using air quotes, but in this case it's the teachers, but the, the students explore, the, sorry, the facilitators are sergeants and the puppet is the commissioner. 
I love it. <laughs> so the commissioner is the one who sort of says, okay, we need this new sense patrol and you need, you're in training. And these sergeants, they have a good sense of how they use their training. So they're going to train you. So the whole morning is about exploring all five of the senses through all, through song, through, uh, and the puppet goes away and then, okay, yes, we've heard it we've got to do this. So we learn and, um, and there's different activities of how they're learning how to taste and smell and all that. And then so by after lunch in the afternoon, then it's, we need our partners. We need our puppet partners, our son's puppet partners. So then they make their partner and then they teach their partner as mantle as experts how to use their senses and what's what, what I love best is that it's a, it's a beautiful blend of visual arts and theater right and what I love is that their puppets can look however they want but they know that they have to have some ears they can look however they want they know that they need a nose they need some sort of something to be able to feel Damn. Yeah. I think that's yeah. magical <laughs> And I think puppets are, are the most wonderful way of, uh, uh, because they're not the teacher and they can relate directly to the kid and, you know, you can have your own. I, I think that's an absolutely magical um, uh, way of, of working. Thank you for listening to episode 15, act one of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Cecily O'Neill, The Process of Drama. Join us next time for act two, Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the creative content manager. Brandon Hutchinson is the media arts coordinator. And Jerry Johnson Smalls is the communications intern. John O. Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org. Follow us on Twitter at TA underscore artistry. And now on Instagram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud, subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life.